Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. So for in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, uh, if you're there, let's stand together and we're going to read this passage and get right into it. We're just moving, moving through the New Testament. Here Paul, writing to the church, he says to them, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that this day, something you might want to underline, this day should not overtake you as a thief. But uh, you are all sons, and then daughters, of light, and sons or daughters of the day, we are not of the uh, of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us who uh, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and the helmet of, of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify, to build up one another, just as you are doing. And Lord, again, this is Your Word, so we're asking our hearts to be open to this Word that You have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Paul here, as you know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've been maybe watching online, keeping up with the studies, uh, through our uh, Sunday morning studies, through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we've seen that he's brought this comfort, and he's encouraged the church to comfort one another. We should be comforting one another. And, and in verses 13 through 18, where we left off last week, there was a few points of comfort that he said. He said that the promises of God, they come from God. They're not from us. So you and I can understand and we can take um, have confidence in the fact that what God says is from Him. It's not from us. It's not from me. It's not from our leadership. When we read His Word, the promises He says, I'm coming again. Guess what? He's going to come again. It's a promise that He has. And then He said another point of promise is that He will come again. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. That he's going to come again. And, and then another time, he, or just a little bit later, he said that he will gather with those who have gone before us. So there's going to be this faith family reunion, if you will. And I look forward to that. And then he reminds us, reminded the church, or reminds us of the rapture of the church. And that soon and very soon that we are going to see the king. We're going to be out of here. Everything's going to change. And then we, when we get to heaven, the point uh, of uh, promise from His Word, to comfort one another that we'll always be with the Lord. You think of whatever happened yesterday or whatever happened in your life and all the pain that comes with it, all the you know the agony of life. And when once we're with the Lord, we'll always be with Him. Always be in that place of protection. Always be in that place of awe. 
always be in that place with the Lord Jesus. So we come to that place of just saying, you know, those who comfort one another with, with these words. And then Paul, having already informed the church of the rapture, he moves to tell them about some important things that uh, you and I need to know, the church needs to know, the church of Thessalonica at that time. But I think it's so important for you and I to really grasp, to understand uh, the, in the day in, the, in which we live in. So it's important because he's going to take them into some deeper responsibilities of how they're to live their lives as a church, as this day approaches, what we should be doing and how we should be living our lives. And what day is that? What's the rapture of the church? So let's look at that. In verse 1, he says again, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, so what he's telling them, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. These times and the seasons are ages and events that that, uh, really precede the day of the Lord. So he's telling them, you guys should have, you already know this. The, the ages, no man knows the day nor the hour, but the, the ages, the events that are going to take place, the things that are going to go on, the spiritual climate of the world, you guys should know this, right? That's what he's telling him. And this is, remember, the first letter written in the New Testament to the first, not the first church, but to the first letter of the churches that they were supposed to read. And they were supposed to understand that the coming of the Lord, to meet us in the clouds, was going to happen at any time. At any moment. And he says, the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. You should understand this. And again, it's relating to those times and the seasons of the the ages and the events or, or the events of the spiritual climate of the, that, that are going to precede the day of the Lord. This world, is going. they're going through it. I think we're going through it right now. If you look at the things that are happening in the world, there's a spiritual uh, undertone, undercurrent that is really rocking people crazy. And so Paul says, during these times, he may come at any time, and the rapture of the church will usher in that day of the Lord. Now, there are two events that I want to bring clarity to, just really briefly. Number one, because people get confusing over there. Remember, the Jews were confused over the the Messiah when he came, because they were expecting a victorious Messiah to come set up his kingdom. Well, that's not going to happen until the millennial reign. And they didn't understand what Isaiah 53 would say, that he first must come as a suffering servant to die for the sins of the world. So they kind of, that's how Israel kind of uh, misidentified or didn't identify correctly the coming of the Messiah because they were waiting, well, if you're going to come, let's get rid of this Roman government. I mean, I would be honest, wouldn't it be cool to have no more taxes, <laughs> no more politicians? But it's not going to happen here. It's going to happen in heaven. So He's saying, you know, I'll set this stuff up. You need to be born again to get to heaven. So that's what Jesus came to do. So the rapture of the church, it's not the second coming. The rapture of the church is when Jesus meets the bride of Christ in the clouds. And what a wonderful event that'll be. And as I've always said, we in the Northwest are assured of the rapture because we have clouds. So we're, you know, it's, it's just so cool. I don't know about California. They don't have any clouds in there. No, I'm just kidding. So you have this thing to where we're going to go be with the Lord. So the, that's a, that's a, the bride of Christ going home to be with Jesus, the groom, meet her in the clouds. That's called the rapture of the church. And we saw that last week. And then the, the, the second coming, though, of the Lord is when Jesus will set up his kingdom here on earth. And so the rapture is when Jesus comes for his saints. The second coming, he comes with his saints. So you and I are going to be coming with him during that time, whether we... Uh, you know, we're raptured, and I hope it's this generation, or, or we 
pass on and he waits a generation or two or three, we're going to still be coming with him during the second coming. So there's that, just bring a, a real quick clarity to that. So in verse 1 again, look at what he says. He has, he says, brethren, he's talking to the people that are saved, people that have their eyes open, people that are born again, because the, the unsaved, they don't understand. They don't see things clearly. I didn't see things clearly before I was saved. And if you're here this morning, you can have your eyes open. You can have the, the, you know, your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. But he, so he says, brethren, you have no need. You should clearly understand this. And it isn't, there isn't a need for the church to be bogged down debating on when the second coming of Christ is. I know when the second coming of Christ is. It's after the rapture of the church. <laughs> and, and there's going to be no need for us to be waiting for the second coming because we're not going to be here. The church is going to be in heaven. You, you look at the things that are happening in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, it uses keyword metatauta, after these things. And after these things means after the church age, after the age of grace, then, then the church is seen from then on in chapter 4 in heaven, worshiping his Savior. It's, it's, it's an incredible time. And so, uh, as for these, the days and the hour, we're unsure. But the seasons, the times and the seasons, you can see we're pretty clear without explanation of what's going on. It's kind of like, and it, the scripture refers to it often as a pregnant woman who is nine months pregnant. And, and there are definite signs, you know, that tell her she's going to be delivering a baby. Right, gals? I mean, there's no doubt the labor, the labor pains increase, the water breaks, the contractions become more frequently. And, and, and it tells that, that lady, that, that woman, that soon and very soon you're going to have a child. And, and the sign, the, the, those are the things that are going to be signs that the birth is coming. Well, what do we think about the signs and the seasons of today? You know, we think about when are these things going to uh, happen? You should, should no need that I should talk to you. We know the hour, he says. Or that I should inform you. But the times and the seasons, what do we say? What do we see? Look at the days of Noah when, when judgment came. We see spiritual apostasy. We see people stating, openly stating, and maybe not just verbally, but by the way they live in their lives. We vote with our lives. We vote the way we want, who we want, what we want to do with our lives, how we want to live our lives. And they're stating that they have no need of God in their life. They say, I don't need God. We don't need God. I can do life without Him. We see a lukewarm and apostate church. We see these things happening right before our eyes. And churches that will turn their face from the infallible words, from, from the Word of God, the Scriptures, they're turning their eyes from it, and they begin to accept false doctrines. They begin to allow things to come into the church that are going to you know, kind of be the spirit of Jezebel. They're going to be these things that just aren't biblically correct. For example, same-sex marriage or abortion or women pastors or all of these things that, that continue to go on. We see these things that are taking place and the, some of them open the door, you know, that allow other things to come in. And if you look at the world around us, doesn't it preach of the times of Sodom and Gomorrah? Look at the world around us. We're, we're now not only a sexual promiscuity rampant, Guys don't even know, boys don't even want to know whether they want to be boys, or girls want to know whether they want to be girls. And we're trying to feed that, not we, but the world is trying to feed that in their minds. You can make up to be anything you want to be, gender-wise. you got to be kidding me. But this is the things that's taking place. We're killing babies, wars, rumors of war. Uh, a nation, our nation is a nation, we can be anywhere, anytime, at any moment. Right? To, to help defend some part of the world that needs to be defended, we can do that. 
But when, but then also we have the nuclear devices throughout all the world that with a few buttons, this world is destroyed. I mean, it's crazy. Nonetheless, as I mentioned, sexual promiscuity, murders, political and national unrest, and so much more, soon the stench of the sin of this world is going to reach heaven, if it hasn't already. And that's, that's going to just say, you know what? The Lord is going to say, let's close the doors on the age of grace. We're done. And I'm going to remove my children from this world, and it's going to start, all hell breaks loose. The, it's the start of seven-year period of the Great Tribulation. So the, the, what, what Paul is getting to is, he says, you guys know these things. And I want to encourage you because he says there's a contrast in the way people are living their lives, or there ought to be. There's a contrast in those who are saved and a contrast to those who aren't. Contrast to those who are walking in the light and those who are still in darkness. You can't walk in the way. There's no gray zone in that area. You're either saved or you're not, right? I mean, it's either that. You can be a kind of a Seahawk fan, but you don't have to be an all-the-way Seahawk fan. But you can be a big Seahawk fan, or you don't have to be. But you, or, or a football fan. But in this case, he's saying, you know, you're either saved or you're not. And, and by because of who we belong to, Christ, it's going to motivate us to live our lives a certain way. And he says, you know what? I, I'm thankful that the age of grace is still here today. Because God is still wanting to pour His grace out on this world. And any unsaved here this morning, He wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to Him. He wants your sins to be forgiven. Can you imagine today the, the amount of guilt that the world is holding on its shoulders? I know this because I had a bunch of guilt before I came to Christ. And can you imagine this, that God wants you to be saved and He wants you to forgive you. And He wants you to be guilt-free. Right? Just take it from you. Wash it from you. And that's what God is still, the, the day and age of grace that we live in. That's just still what He wants to do today. He wants to take the deepest, darkest sinner, and He wants to change them. He wants to give them life. He wants to save them, forgive them of, the, forgive them of their sins. And so He's telling the, the church, Paul here, he's, he's saying, look, this is going to be a surprise. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. He says, this is a surprise, so be ready. He says, but concerning the times of the season, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly. You know perfectly. It's, you better be ready. It's not a surprise to you. No, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Listen, they were fully aware of the things that Paul says will come upon them as a thief in the night. They're fully aware of that. And we know that a thief isn't going to send you an email say, I'll be there at 10 o'clock tonight, right? You're not going to do that. He doesn't announce his coming. So that's the idea that um, that the Lord is, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to get through to the church. You can only hear of a thief after your belongings are missing. You come home, the back window's broken, the back door is broken, you figure out what just happened. Too late, right? And so, in other words, the time of the hearing of the thief is, you hear the thief coming is after the fact. He doesn't announce that he's going to be there. If you knew the thief were coming at 10 o'clock tonight, you'd probably be rocking, locked, and loaded, right? You'd be ready. I mean, you're sitting in your chair, I'm locked and loaded, ready to go. Let's, have, let's do this thing if we're going to do it. But we're, we're ready. That's what I'm getting to. We're, we're ready. We're taking the precautionary measures, and we're going to make sure that we do what we do. You know, I'm still a city boy, born and raised in San Diego, can't help it. But I'm still that way. See, I, when I first moved up here, I couldn't go to sleep until I heard a siren. I mean, because I was just, that was like the lullaby growing up in the hood, man. You know, you, you, you hear this, oh, I can finally rest. Boom, boom, boom. Ah, oh, yeah, I can finally rest, you know. But for you and I, I mean, we think, you know, 
we got we got to be ready. And this is why a thief doesn't announce his coming. And and being uh, well, as into is being raised in the sea. I still lock my car when I go camping. Boop boop. I mean, that's just born. It's bred into me to be ready. But a thief, he's not going to announce his coming. It is he just doesn't do it. And so Paul reminds them that they perfectly, you know, perfectly. You guys have been students of the Word. You've been here long enough in this church, and we teach through the Bible. You you perfectly know. And you aren't to be taken by surprise that the day is going to all of a sudden come upon you and you should be taken by surprise. Oh no, you know, as if... But, but, but let me tell you, when this day comes, and this is why he's saying that we should be perfectly ready, we should know, because when that day hits, when that day hits, when the rapture of the church comes, this world, it's going to send alarms throughout this world and the people... They're going to, who are left behind, they're going to be looking for answers. They're, what just happened? What's going on? And some are going to say, well, I heard about it. I sat in church one day. I didn't respond to that. I thought the guy was nuts. He talked about my Seahawks or whatever, you know. But, you know, and, and they're not listening. And they're going to be left behind. And all of a sudden, these, I mean, can you imagine Christian pilots flying planes? And they're raptured. And these planes are falling out of the air. Bus drivers, Christians. You know that that they're falling out of the air. Eight, what was it? Um, the uh, the amount of uh, people in the world today—it's just crazy in the U.S. Uh, it's just crazy. The amount—the three hundred twenty-seven point three hundred twenty-seven point two million or something. Uh, that was just ten minutes ago because they probably had some more births. But but in that, sixty-five percent of them are supposed Christians. Just imagine if that was to take place. 65% of that, if that took place, all of a sudden we are reduced to nothing, the, Amer- the, the United States. So I say that, he says, you know what, the, the alarm that's going to be sent through the world is crazy. And guess what? People are going to be searching for answers, and there's going to be somebody to rise up and say, i got a plan. I've got a plan. It's called the Antichrist. See, there will be a man who will rise up to help them out, but after about three and a half years after the treaty signed, he's going to break that treaty. He's going to laugh at them. And he's going to say, you know what? I was just kidding. My, my modern vernacular. But this is what it's going to be. And I don't really have a plan for you. I'm going to destroy you. And if you don't worship me, I'm going to destroy you. And that's the devil. And that's what he's out to do. You and I should know perfectly well. And when we see these things and hear of these things, the response for us is important. I don't want to see any of my loved ones, any of my family, any of my friends, any of you, not accept Christ and then live through that time of the great tribulation or die before the rapture comes and then you, you know, you're not going to be with the Lord. I don't want to see that. So as these times approach and we see the, the paint being applied to the canvas, if you will, as the labor pains are increasing, you know, there's some things that we have to do. Look at what Paul points out in verse 3. He says there's contrasting lives. Listen, he says, for when they say, this is they, you look at the contrast, you can underline these, they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. You see, there's that time that's going to happen, that's going to take place. There's a contrast in verses uh, 13 through 18 that say they and we. It's the same thing. And the world is caught by surprise because they've rejected Jesus Christ. They've rejected the Word of God. They had, you know, whether it's pride or whatever, they just... They're, they're, they're rejecting the, the warnings that God has sent to them. You think about it, how many of us as his children are unwilling to hear and take heed to the Word of God? 
We've got to be careful. See, the crazy thing is about the church is that um, we, we're, we know what's going on. We should know what's taking place as we should be very aware. And, and we, we need to be living with this anticipation daily that Christ is coming. You know, I was sitting at my desk at home this morning. I've got these three windows out front. And, and I just got the picture, you know, when grandkids, I, I love the picture that Ian posted of my granddaughter. When, when he left the house, she was at the front door, you know, the screen door. Just going, you know, just such a cute picture. And she's like that. Her and little Zane are like that when grandma and grandpa are coming over or mom or dad get home from the store or whatever. They're anticipating, oh, I can't wait to see them again, you know. And then, then if the, the war is on to see who's, who she'll go to, you know, Elaine or I, but, or who Zane will go to. But this, that's what it is. We ought to be living with that anticipation, right? That Jesus is coming. He's going to take us home. That's what I'm living for now. So thankful that he saved us from the world in which we're living in that we now, I am so thankful that he's going to take us home one day uh, and, and, and I want to be ready for that. I want to be living in anticipation for that. And so, you know, the thing is that we look around the church today and we have to ask, is the church falling asleep? Others have opened themselves up to doctrines that I wouldn't want to be found basking in when the Lord returns, when he comes to take us home. You see, this is for the unbeliever who may be here this morning. God has warned that there's going to be a flood, and the flood was coming. Yet only eight people were saved out of that flood. Can you believe that? God said that there's going to be a flood to destroy the planet, the world. And, and only eight people listened. Lot warned his family, and he said, family... There's going to be a flood coming. You know what they did? They laughed at him. They didn't take him serious. It was like, well, you weren't saying this before. But they didn't take him serious. And so, you know, they wouldn't listen. Jesus warned of a generation that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Right? And his warning should have, been, it should have enabled many to escape that. They should have listened and said, oh, this is going to really happen. But instead, many perished in the siege. In fact, Jesus uses the flood and the overthrow of the Sodom and Gomorrah as examples because people in those days were going about their business. They were eating and drinking and marrying and partying and doing all they wanted to do. And they never considered the judgment that would be around the corner. Ah, what, what did we say today? They didn't think. They didn't believe. And, and therefore, even when they were warned about it, but it did come upon them. Look, at we might say, well, that's 2,000 years. I can't believe it. I've been saying that for 2,000 years. Look at the times and the seasons, people. Get ready. Get ready. And see, what is it that we, we tell our children when, when, you know, when they know, when our children know when they're young, they say, hey, what, what, what do we tell them when they're doing something they're not supposed to do? What do we tell them? You know, you, you know better than that, right? You know, don't touch that. You know better than that. Well, that's what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, guys, guess what? You should know better than that. You should know better and live your lives in a way that you're not anticipating Christ coming at any moment. We ought to know better than that. And if you're here this morning and you're listening to this message that has mixed in with this great destruction that will take place, listen, this morning you can enter the ark. You can flee from Sodom. You can enter or you can run from the ruins of the, you know, the disaster that's going to take, take place by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the way of escape. There is no other answer. There is no other answer. And so the Lord and only the Lord is able to deliver those. Listen, He's going to deliver us from, not through, the wrath that is to come. 
So in verse 3 again, he says, and when they say, they, destruction will come upon them. Listen, they will be looking for peace in the midst of the storm. Um, and they're, they're not going to know what hit them. But thinking that, you know, the same thing when they think about a nine-month-old uh, uh, woman who's been pregnant for nine months. All of a sudden, these things increase. These pains increase I talked about. Oh, these things are just, it's crazy. Well, that's what's happening in the world today. And people will think, let me, say, let me ask you. There's not a woman in here that has birthed a child that thinks after nine months it ain't coming. There ain't a guy in here after nine months think that baby ain't coming. He's praying for that baby to come. But, but isn't that true, right? So we shouldn't think that when Jesus says that destruction is coming, we shouldn't think, that, nah, it ain't coming. Foolish. Foolish. And so he says here, listen, when they say, he says, listen, if you choose to, to enter this storm without Jesus, you're going to have this false hope and destruction will not only await you, but it will deal its blow. That's a warning. I mean, it's God saying, I love you. I care for you. Don't go through this. Choose me today. I've died for you. I gave myself for you. So, you know, when that day, when they say peace and safety, then destruction comes upon them. Christ-rejecting world. Christ-rejecting people. I didn't need him. Listen, look at verse 4. There's another side of the coin. He says, but you, brethren, there are only two, two kinds of people. It's not black, yellow, white, green, not ethnicity. It's saints and ain'ts. There's only, only, only two types of people. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. So this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the, of the light. The sons of the day, we are not uh, of the night nor of the darkness. And, and, you know, you think about that. So he's saying, he talked about they and them and what's going to happen. And, and then we, listen, in Amos chapter 5, the prophet said this about the, the day of the Lord. He said this, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. So the people are expecting, I can't wait for the day of the Lord. Yeah, it's going to be great. He says, for what good is the day of the Lord upon you? What, what, what good is the day of the Lord for you? You're thinking, whoops, what do you mean? He says, it will be darkness and not light. Now this is sad because the people there, they're, they're, what they're believing in is their, their ritualistic lives. They're, they're going through the motions. And they're thinking, that the, well, I'm just doing what these motions call me to do, so I'm going to be okay in the day of the Lord. And, and the prophet here is telling them in the Old Testament that, that Israel, he says, you know, what does, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It's not, not that God is saying you didn't hit a standard or you weren't good enough. He's just saying you're not even trusting in God. You're not trusting in Him. You're, you're, what you're doing is you're trying to make yourself good for heaven. You can't do that. And, he's, and in verse 19 he says, And it will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. How would you like that? I escaped this part. I escaped that part. Oh no. Brown bear, brown bear. What do you see? I see a boy that's looking at me. I, say, I hope that bear is Christian. And the bear goes, Father, thank you for this food. <laughs> you see, he goes on, verse 19 again, and it will be as though a man fled from a lion and, met, and, and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, finally came finally at home, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and, and not light? It is not very dark with no brightness in it. Or is it not very dark with no, no brightness in it? See, this day will be like turning out the lights on the world. You see, as Christians, we're the light of the world. And a believer, we're never referenced as darkness. And you think, what is darkness? The absence of light. When you and I go home to be with the Lord, when the church is out of here, 
there will be an absence of light in the world. As I said, uh, 327.2 million people in the U.S. If 65% of them get raptured, that doesn't leave many people. That cuts us over half of the people in the U.S. We're done. It's done. And then all of us who've been born again, we've been blood washed, we've been having this newness of life, we're no longer walking that old life. So what he's saying to you, we have this new life. That's the other side of the coin. We got this new life in Christ, and we're to walk in that. We're not to walk in darkness anymore, walk in our old lives. You see, we're to walk in the light and live accordingly, and we see that we're going to, we're going to need that light. We're going to walk in I need the Word of God. That's the light into my path. I need that fellowship. I need to be in prayer. So we're to walk in that. So Paul says, and in verse 4 again, again he says, but you brethren, again emphasizing that if you're a believer and unbeliever, you're a believer, he's telling us, he's warning us, saying, you know, hey, listen, but you brethren should know better. Knowing that there's a clear distinction between the family of God and those who have not yet chosen Jesus Christ, there's a clear distinction between the saved and the unsaved. Paul brings us responsibility for the saved. You've got a responsibility. We ought to know how we're to live. Look at verse 6, because we ought to know better. He says, for let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober for or because those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. You know, there, there are those who are walking in darkness. And Paul here uses a different word from the word sleep that he used in chapter 4 verse 13 when it talked about dead. This sleep he's talking about is a spiritual sleep. He's talking about those who have, they, they, they were once awakened and they've come to Christ or they're, they're in fellowship and they've just fallen asleep spiritually. And so, or becoming not only falling asleep, but becoming spiritually lazy. So he says, don't fall asleep spiritually, just as you, you know, you, you wouldn't take a, your recliner and set it in the middle of a lion's den and put a pork chop around your neck. You're not going to do that. You don't fall asleep like that. Don't play dumb, right? And so even the world today says, don't fall asleep. And I wonder how many Christians today really are sleeping. So they're asleep spiritually. They're acting as if everything is okay and they're spending a lot of time trying to rearrange the chairs on the Titanic. You know, we're trying to make the thing a better place, the world a better place. I get that and I'll get to this in a minute and I'll tell you what I mean. But we're trying to do things. We're trying to do things to, you know, we're, we should be in rescue mode. You know, the Titanic's going down, so I'm not trying to put the chairs in a proper place. I'm trying to get people saved. I want people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? I want them to know that, look, this world's going down. I want you to know the truth. I want to share the truth with you. And here's the answer of life. It's through Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, and again, this is without a response. No need to, to really get responsive here. But has the church gotten lazy? Is the church being lulled to sleep? Here's this thing that comes across my mind. It's called ecumenicalism. Maybe, maybe you might know what that means, so if not, I'll explain it to you. It's an adjective. The adjective ecumenical refers to something universal or something that is wide, wide and general application. Today, it would refer to as many churches are getting together, many diverse Christians, religions get together. No matter, we just drop the barrier, the standard of what Christian is. As long as you got a bulletin and you sing Kumbaya and all this stuff, we're going to do these things together. But it even includes the fact that where you'll gather together with even the Muslims and the Jews and the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, ecumenicalism. Don't care your standard of life. You just you have a bulletin and we're here all doing the same thing. We, 
we say Jesus the same way and all this stuff. And listen, I, I say that to say this. I look at some of the things that churches merge together to accomplish, but it has seldom has anything to do with getting people saved. It has nothing to do with getting people saved. We're becoming a social church. We become a social gospel where we're getting our works out and we're allowing our works to be seen. And all these things that, yeah, the Bible said we are let our light shine before men, but we're to um, present Jesus Christ in this day and age. And I look at some of the things and I just think, you know, instead of performing and preaching a social gospel, meaning that they do a lot of good deeds, they want this or they want that, and we all do this or do that, but we're, they're, they're very lame on presenting the only power that can bring the real change, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen, there's hope in this world, and it's through Jesus Christ. And I believe that we are at the threshold of eternity. And it seems that we're sleeping. Many of our friends are being lulled to sleep. Many of our family are being lulled to sleep in the sense to where we're so inundated with, listen, what church does instead of what Jesus did. I was talking to Gabe earlier this week and I threatened him. Listen, I, I'll pull that back. I said to him, I had the slot, but I threatened, the, the, not him, but the case here. I thought, you know, I want to get rid of every announcement that the church does. I'm not so interested. The church, what we do is a byproduct of what Jesus Christ is doing in us. And for an hour and a half that we have on Sunday mornings, I just want every moment to be Christ-centered. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that. I mean, he brings me down to level. You know, hey, think of this. This is good. But I just don't want, and I don't really care so much what the church does. I want you to know what Christ did. What he did for you. Our families are hurting. And we get out here like we're trying, I don't mean we, but we're trying to, Churches are trying to sell what they do to make you attracted to them. And that's not my heart. I don't, I, you know, we do things because God puts them on our heart, but I want you to know that we want to do things because Jesus Christ died for us. And I want you to know, I don't want you to get involved in church when you're not saved. I want you to be involved in Christ because of the things that he came to save for, you know, he, he did for us. So, and listen, we only have an hour and a half for Sunday, hour and a half on Wednesday. And I just thought, Gabe, I just want to get these announcements out of here. I just want Jesus, 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 because he's the only one that can set them free. Listen, we pay for social media, websites, all this stuff. They're interested. Let them go to the website. Let them, let them find out. Let them get a bulletin. We have so many ways of finding out. But can we just, I mean, it's just my heart, right? I just want Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. I want Jesus to be presented. And I came down to earth. But it is Jesus. I still want that. I still want that. But, but you know, it is a fact that, yeah, people come and they want to hear and they don't have access. Oh, okay. But listen, Christ, Christ needs to be lifted up. Jesus needs to be lifted up. And I know people are attracted to what the church does. They think it's cool and all this stuff and, you know, whatever. But I, I, I just have a, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take any glory from God. I don't want it to be, look at what the church is doing. I want it to be, look at what Jesus has done. And that we ought to know better. That we're living our lives in a way to where Christ is the center. He's everything. You know what? I think of the church today, we have to be careful. Because what happens is, we, we have a tendency to kind of float and drift into this image of Jonah. 
What do I mean by that? Well, remember the storm of Jonah and, and Jonah was called to Nineveh, right? God called him. There was a great need in Nineveh and God said, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh. Why? Because there's a people that are in need to hear to repent. What did Jonah do? He got on a boat, went the other way. And on that boat, because God had his hand on Jonah, he the, the winds came and everything was crashing all around this boat and this ship. And the captain was so frustrated that the captain was looking at all of his gods because he had plenty of gods. He had more gods than Jonah did in number. And, he, and, he, and none of these gods were of help. Every man, every man and woman and child, whoever was on that ship was in danger of losing their life. And the gods of this, the gods of this, uh, uh, this captain couldn't help him. So he's there hopeless, right? And he comes to this place where Jonah, uh, he says this, so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. So he's saying, look it. What I need you to do is, Jonas, I need you. If you've got a God that's going to save us, then let's get, let's get saved because we're, we're perishing. And that's what the world is doing. The world is perishing. You know, there are people out there today who are trusting in so many other things. And none of them are working for them. But the question is, what do they get when they see us? Look at their families are falling apart. Their marriages are falling apart. Well, how do they see when they see us? What are they getting? They need to have a hope. And they've tried their drinking. They've tried introducing this stuff or that stuff or whatever it might be into their lives. And none of it's working. Secular counseling. None of this stuff is working. And so they're looking for some hope some way, just like they did to Jonah. Maybe you have an answer, Jonah. And Jonah had the, the answer, but he couldn't say it because he was being disobedient. He couldn't bring out the hope in their lives because it was clouded in his darkness at the time. And so the issue was that Jonah wasn't interested in serving the Lord. God wanted to use him. Moses didn't really want to go, but God said, I want you to go. I need you to go. I didn't want to leave San Diego to come to Washington State, though I, I'm growing to love it after 30 years now. But, but I didn't really want to go. My wife surely didn't want to come. But you don't have to, you know, you can, what are you going to do? There's people up there. You need to teach them the word. You need to go. Just go. I don't have any money. Here's a check. Go. That's how it happened, really, in the short term. And so the issue, again, was Jonah didn't want that. He, he wasn't interested. He was interested in himself, his comfort, and all these things. And, and please get this, because there were people in Nineveh who were perishing. They're dying. And God says, Jonah, go. Jonah, go. And because Jonah's disobedience, everyone in the ship, was they, they were all left hopeless. And the people in Nineveh. And so, you know, the, the captain says, says, hey, can your God help? You were put on the spot. The world, our co-workers, plant closes down, somebody gets fired, somebody loses a loved one. They need some hope. And they're looking around, how are we going to get this done? Well, their hope is that they get through the funeral, they get through the service, that they get, they find a chaplain or somebody, some pastor that's got, got the time to do their service, and they hope that they just get through that. That's not hope. Hope is that, what are we going to do when we perish from this world? That's the hope. What are we going to do? Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to them in chapter 15, verse 34, and he said to them, he said, awake to righteousness. He was telling the church, this church, the kind of carnal churches, awake to righteousness, do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. There's a world out there that needs to know Jesus, but what are we doing about it? That's what he's telling the Corinthian church. And I kind of pose that same question to us today. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? 
Are we letting him know about Jesus, or are we found sleeping ourselves? Listen, for at, for at the church at Corinth, they were so busy about other th- other things. Oftentimes, they were preoccupied with other stuff. Finding, well, let's just you know, you know, do this and do that. Or suing people. Carnality was rampant. Instead of rather seeing sinners saved, they were they didn't want to see. They have no. Didn't show much of an appetite to see people saved. And, and, and let me ask you this. Let me ask you the question at church, kind of be, because of the, um, the letter and, and, and that Paul had written and the promise and the urgency. What in the world is the church waiting for? What are we waiting for to get the gospel? Are we trying to squeeze out everything we can out of this world? We trying to get to this location. If I get to that location, if I live here, I'll be happier. That's sunnier down there. This is better over here. This will be a little. Are we really into this world? I mean, we trying to squeeze everything out of this life that we can, thinking that'll bring satisfaction. And I'd rather, let me tell you this, I'd rather love to see revival or rapture. I'm game for either one. I'm game for a revival that God would use some church, some people, somewhere, some way to say, you know what, it's time. Let's get this on. Let's let let my life go so that others might see that I'm relinquishing it to Jesus. And I just want Jesus to move powerfully through me. Either that or rapture. I don't care. You pray for either one. I'm game. I'm on board. I'd rather see the rapture. But there's people that are dying, so I want to see revival. I want to see the church hungry. And let me begin to close with this. He says in verse 11, but let us, this is not lettuce and carrots make a salad, it's let us who are of the day. He's talking about the Christian church who are of the day. If you're a believer, he's talking to you. But be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love and the helmet of hope and salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So here is what he's saying. He says, listen, we're to be sober and we're to watch. And the sober, yes, it means to abstain from drinking, from being discreet or being sober. That's what it means. That's what, the, what it's clarifying here. But, but, you know, some will say, well, the Bible says you can drink, right? And it's not a sin. Yeah, absolutely right. You're right. But there are so many who have been delivered from this that go back to dabbling from what God has delivered them from. Same thing with smoking pot. Oh, it's legal now. Oh, let me go out and get a little, let me do a little blunt. Let me just do a little dab. Let me get a little something. And what happens? They something. They fall down. They go back the old way. God doesn't want us to do that. Why does he want that? And so he's saying, be sober, be watchful. Now, I'm not being legalistic. Listen, I've been delivered from that stuff, and many of you have too, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, am I the only one that's been delivered from that stuff? Whoops. I don't think so. You see, and it's not just sober from drinking or prescription pills or smoking dope or whatever. It's, a, it's, it's having this life, a person who lives their life that is wanting to squeeze as much of this world out of it is being preoccupied and that isn't a sober living. They're too preoccupied with the things going on, trying to get to happiness, trying to obtain nirvana or whatever it is on earth that they're trying to obtain. And then he says this, listen, in verse 10, he says, For God did not disappoint us to wrath. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that time when your dad, some of you older people know what I'm talking about, go out and choose the weapon of your whooping. <laughs> well, I'm going to get the smallest stick around, I'll show you. 
And that smallest stick was a twig that hurt the worst, wasn't it? Or the belt, you hear that? I can still to this day, pow! Hear that belt snap, you know? But God did not appoint us to that. So the wrath is coming upon. This is what He's done for us, church. He had, sin has to be judged. But He's taken the judgment on the cross of Jesus Christ and He satisfied it completely. That whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it cost Him everything. It cost Jesus everything. He paid the price. And He comes to this place and He says, God did not appoint you to wrath. Can you imagine that? That you can never run to mom and be saved from your dad, really. The dad was coming after you. So, in this case, he's saying the only way that you can be saved from that wrath is through Jesus Christ. And he did not appoint us to wrath. God doesn't want to see anyone perish, but all come to repentance. He doesn't want to see us live. He says, God did not appoint us to wrath. And the wrath that he's talking about here is the wrath that is going to be poured out in this Christ-rejecting world. That's the wrath that he's talking about. Or, or regardless of when it's imminent, when you go home to be with the Lord, if you don't, if you if you're not saved, well, that that wrath living for eternity, just being without Him, and having spared us from the wrath to come, what keeps what is keeping us from giving our all? Listen, we don't escape the wrath by death. Like if you're not a non-believer, you don't escape the wrath by death. You're going to be in hell for eternity, and that is not a place. Well, I'll just take it up with God then. Don't do that. Please don't do that. You're fooling yourself and you're believing the lie of the enemy. God loves you and He cares for you. And the last thing, what Paul says here, he says, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. So just as he closed off last section with the rapture of the church, he's talking this week, he says comfort one another, encourage one another, edify one another. Listen, what we're to do is, hey, how are you doing today? We should be able to go, how are you doing today? We're not, we're not in people's business. We're caring about them saying, hey, how are you doing today? I want to pray for you. I haven't seen you. Where have you been? You know, and that's that. We're to edify one another to live a life that God wants us to live in the midst of the world that we live in, anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? That's the, that's the premise here. Are you living that life in anticipation that Jesus is coming? And that, that anticipation should motivate us to live a life that we should live for Christ. That's what it is. Saying without Christ, you have no hope. With Christ, we want to live in that anticipation. Look at, you know what I'm doing? You know, I tell people, they come into my office and they have this, hey, I just want to get right with God and I got this baggie or this whatever it is. Well, don't give it to me. But I'll throw it on my desk and I've had this happen on a few occasions and I walk them over to the toilet and, sorry, but I do it and flush it right down the toilet. And, and, and they go, well, what did you do that for? I said, well, because you've got to cut it off right now. you just got to drop the keys and run. you just got to change and make that life of change. Say, I'm going to do this. You see, it's like Jonah needed to be woken up. Jonah needed to be confronted and put on front street and say, can you help us? Oh, well, I remember God told me to do something. I wasn't doing it. And the church sometimes falls asleep like that, do we not? We fall asleep in this place where we're not doing what we should be doing. Now listen, that's not condemnation. That's God's grace coming out saying, I'm here. I want to save. I want to do. I want to, re- I want to empower you. I want to give you everything that you want in life. God's grace is enormous. When we find ourselves not living the way we should be, then we come to God and say, God, forgive me. God, encourage me. God, wash over me. God, empower me. That's our hope. Living in anticipation that soon and very soon 
we are going to see the King. Let's bow and pray. Father, we're so thankful for... We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.